Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on topics they are not experts on unless it's anger management or anger issues. I'm an expert on that. I believe Jordan is too. Yeah, we're both experts on it. And that's why we've come to the conclusion that it's not okay to joke about. I love that about everybody always has that. Just get over it until it's something that personally affects them. And then it's like, that's not a joke. Yes, it is. Yeah, anger issues is not a joke. That's the one. You know what? Why isn't that a mental illness? Oh, it is a mental illness. It's just not one that people have sympathy for. Yeah, it's one that we mock. <laughs> but also <laughs> scold. Makes me angry. Which is so strange because yeah. everybody's saying, oh, depression, you can't control that. But I'm yes. really sure that you can't control if your frontal cortex is damaged. I don't know if that's your problem. Because it's seen <laughs> as this, it's anger is seen as a conscious act of oppression, essentially, of tyranny. But they're not in control of it. In the same way, anxiety could be seen as a conscious act of indifference towards a social gathering or towards a friend which harms other people, anger, especially excessive anger, harms people but very clearly and distinctly. Mm. But it's not seen as an illness that needs to be treated. It's something to be shamed. How dare you? Where is your God now, eh? All of these Hypocrites. Yeah, you really are. You just like a certain spectrum of emotions, don't you? You just don't like anger because it's a male emotion. Do you think that's it? It's just because they don't understand it. Uh, As a man with uh, anger issues, I believe that it is true that there isn't (laughs) enough of a conversation around (laughs) the subject of anger. (laughs) It's true. As soon as anger is expressed, it always becomes that person is the arsehole. Very rare. In some situations, people justify their anger. But if it's if it's well, when you say violent, if it's all anger is aggressive, I suppose. But the person exhibiting the anger would always feel like it's a defense mechanism. They would always feel justified in why they may be angry. I don't know. I just don't think we treat anger like we do other emotions. We seem to look down on it. It's a real shame that Lewis Spears is known because otherwise he could. Pitch that to the feed, and I can guarantee you that they put it on air. As a skit? No. If someone was just seriously saying that, that'd be part of one of their <laughs> serious segments about, you know, it's just what's facing the youth. They do say um, <laughs> repetitive bouts of frustration could be a sign of depression for men. Makes sense. Well,. Anger isn't a nice emotion. Every time it's ever made in one of those charts of emojis, they always have the downturned eyebrows and the sad face. Mm. It's pretty Mm. close to depression, isn't it? It's just their face is red. But there's more sympathy. Even if anger is a symptom of depression, there's no sympathy for anger, but there's so much sympathy for depression. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't really make sense. because It's the roles. You know what it is? It's because if someone's depressed... They offer the opportunity for someone to become a ta- caretaker. Whereas if someone's angry, there's no option for someone to be a caretaker. They feel threatened. Because it's hard to nurse anger out of someone. 
you almost have to be even more angry. Well, not you have to be even more authoritative and then get it out of them. It's the roles that we were talking about a few weeks back. Oh, Depression is victim. Yeah. yeah. Anger's a villain. What else is a villain? What other emotion is villainous? Jealousy. Jealousy, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, that's not seen as an illness. That's pretty much it, though. It's just aggression and jealousy. But aren't those the four base emotions? What is it? Sadness, happiness, anger. Can't even remember the last one. Maybe it's love. Lust. I'm at a loss. I don't know what the fourth one is, but they're kind of like primary colors and everything else after that morphs into those emotions and jealousy is a bit of that isn't it it's kind of a it's somewhere of a mixture between anger and sadness well my friend was telling me that uh well he has a lot of back pain and he's a very rational uh stoic man and his father and his brother are both very hot-headed so they exhibit anger a lot more frequently than he does Mm. and he was saying that uh he read a book that said people who are more inclined to express bouts of anger when they experience, even if it's minute frustration, they're less likely to carry uh, ailments such as back pain or neck pain. And some of that pain is actually stored up tension that hasn't been released. That sounds about right. You know, when we talk about meditation, we talk about releasing tension and Maybe anger is another way to do that. It's just not a very meditative, tranquil way of doing it. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> I do fine when I when I um go and hit the heavy bag a bit. It's liberating. Frees me from some of my uh restrictive emotions. Mm. There's a reason that people want to do it. For a bit of anger. That probably the same reason that butchers are always legends. People that are into heavy metal, yeah. they're usually really chill, nice guys. Yeah, because they get it all out. They get it all out. Oh. Uh, it you need a also healthy kind outlet. of acts like that it is part of the meditative process. Well, that's definitely what samurais believed. Samurai lifestyle was a lot about being extremely meditative so that you could unleash that five minutes of berserk behavior that was needed in warfare. Because they were saying that that was most of why the samurai was so feared on the battlefield. It was because they just were so much more psycho than anybody else out there. So it was most of the psychological fear. So maybe they weren't even that good. They were just uh, intimidating. Yeah. That's half the battle. Winning the the mental battle. Definitely. But also, their armor does look very intimidating. More so than a knight or anything else. And the hair especially. Yeah. Yeah, that samurai hair. The samurai Jack Bun that Neil is... No, not anymore. Now it's just the man bun. He's he's gone out. All right. Well, the point is, yeah, it was very scary before. Now he's just a... There's a slight part that can... Because when a man has long hair, it's, oh, he can't be tamed and he's a free spirit. Whereas the samurai has that disciplined man bun at the top. (laughs) He has the best Ah. of both worlds. He's got the structure and the discipline, but then there's part of him that just cannot be tamed. And if he releases that part, you better watch out. Yeah. He's coming for you. He can be tamed. With discipline. But not by you. Mm. Yeah, he's constantly in a battle with himself. 
the perfect haircut. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of true. Yeah, the top knot and the and the bottom part let down. I'm it's not really funny that the it. Australian equivalent of that is a mullet. It's so much lamer, isn't it? Well, no, actually, oh, not lamer. Just the front part party at the, the back. back. The Australian but samurai is. There's no discipline involved, mullet. really, is there? Yeah, wh- what business are guys with mullets I talking don't about? <laughs> Concreting business. <laughs> is that, that what it is? If that. You well, probably just can't giving even out get quotes. Away. You probably can't even get away with a mullet if you have a concreting business. People wouldn't take you seriously. No, of course they wouldn't. What is the one what is one profession where you'd actually want someone with a mullet? Footy player? Even then. They're just too Two in the way. Too uh what's the party untamed. at the back? Exactly. You, you just want business. Dis- you, you do need to have discipline when you're on the footy field. Um I don't know, let us know. Let us know in the comments, guys. You know what I reckon you can get away with it? Secondhand book dealer. Tobacconist. That's what you want. A small business where you don't have to move off your chair much. I think you can be forgiven for having a mullet there. But you're mm. right. As soon as somebody is a tradie yeah. and they have a mullet, I'm not trusting them. I would sooner trust one of those really scary lib haircuts that we were discussing before that's kind of just like <laughs> here and then shaved there. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some that have that with a mullet as well. And <laughs> now that is an untrustworthy heck. Uh, because that's criminal at the front, party at the back. <laughs> uh, crime and parties. <laughs> that's the life. That's the life to live, man. Can you imagine the mindset you would have to be into to get that? To seriously walk around with that Man, there was a high school that we, when I got off at, well, Cogra Station, when I was in high school, there was a, there was a, well, there was a Cogra High School and it was just all, (laughs) everyone had that haircut. (sighs) And then one of the kids uh, jumped to the turnstiles and the uh, transit officer was trying to figure out who it was. And then he was asking all the other people and he was talking to one of his colleagues and he's like, man, I would say it was the Lebanese kid with the ugly haircut, but that doesn't help, does it? (laughs) 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 Okay, so it had 100% penetration at this school. All of them had that haircut. Fuck. We're talking, you know, late 2000s, maybe early 2010s. That was the haircut to have. I bet you it's still the haircut to have. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because I still see that walking around. That's a common haircut. And I I really just want to know that. What is going through your head? Probably not much. It can't be. THC, a lot of that. But why does that result in you having aggressive hair? I can understand unkempt. No, you know what they're into? They're into pills, aren't they? And I can imagine that on pills. They, they also love 420. Yeah? I just don't understand how you can look so <laughs> menacing when you're a pothead. Well, that's the pothead that part is, the, is, the, back, the, pothead. is the back part. And the front part is the, the pills. pills. Yeah. <laughs> that's the juice. That's the roids. <laughs> oh, that's so scary. Is- roids and weed. Man, for some reason... <laughs> I saw this TikTok where this, uh, this African guy was asking these group of drunk white girls, like, what's the one area you would never 
date someone from and a girl was like oh probably punch bowl and he's like oh why not and she goes oh there's just too many like lebos in that eh? and he's like oh, what's wrong with lebo lebos why are you being racist and she's like no no i'm not but just the ones with like the bum bag and they're just rank or something like that and it's just <laughs> fuck why is it the one race you're allowed to talk shit about because they put it on themselves. I'm sorry, you can't have bum bags and that haircut and not be paid out. It's too fucked. There's a threshold here. We can't just accept these kind of standards. Can you imagine if CEOs the in the future start wearing that shit? That is a society in decline. <laughs> Look, I bet so you they far. have some great business acumen because they've had to navigate, one, the law, but also... <laughs> Figured it out a way to uh, sell pills as efficiently as possible yeah, in true. their local high school. <laughs> so, you know, they know what they're doing. You know what I know? I've I realized everyone of Middle Eastern descent who's not from Lebanon also dislikes Lebanese people. Yeah, like, I was on the date with this girl who's from Turkey, and I swear to God, for 20 minutes, she just bitched about Lebanese men. Like, oh my god, I just hate them so much. They're so disgusting and they're dirty and they give us all a bad name. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah. And then she bitched about her friend who wears a hijab. She was like, she thinks she's so much better than me because she wears a fucking hijab. She's not even a virgin. She's disgusting. She full thinks she's better than me because she wears the hair. No, I was just sitting there laughing the whole time. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You just, you've really. I think that's it. It's just, it doesn't matter how, we were actually discussing this the other day. It doesn't matter how politically correct the world gets. I'm sorry, wogs are never not going to be paid out. They're too funny. As soon as you put on that voice, I'm laughing. I can't not. It's just a human response to that. What do you want us to do? Cancelled. He <laughs> can't. <laughs> well, look, I'm, I swear this is one of those situations where it's like people in glass houses. No one does not laugh at that accent. <laughs> Do you think that even yeah. Wogs must laugh at it? Just being like listening to it on stage, be like, oh, I don't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a common theme. We've talked about that before. But it's what? funny. It's funny every time. What? Just the way you were allowed to make fun of that one group. I don't know. <laughs> it's just look, you're I allowed to make fun of everyone if people didn't restrict us. Yeah, that's true. I just don't know. I th it must be something about living in Australia mixed with coming from the Middle East. That's where that accent must come from. So I really think that it must be unique in the world. There mustn't be well, no, anywhere else where there's that level of hilarity in an accent. It's supposedly a sort of hybrid of Arabic and uh, an Australian accent. Exactly. But it doesn't make sense why I would... But then what happened was uh, second and third generation Greek, Italian and... Slavic immigrants adopted it as well. And now everyone in Western Sydney just talks like that. Yeah, Asians speak like that. Asians have a, have, have that same accent, but um, times two. 
It's just Sometimes on, too... on fast forward. It's yeah, like, it is. Hey man, how's a fucking going? You fucking go. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they still have that little cut that Asians yeah. have in it. <laughs> yeah, I'll go fucking UNSW, bro. Where the fuck do you go? You can't. And that's actually better. Dude, you got a 99.8. Why do you speak like <laughs> <Did> you <laughs> you Your maths results were that good that it made up for your 48% on the English exam. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> Dude, okay, you know what I was watching? Oh, all right. Now we're going to get into the one group that you're really not allowed to make fun of. You know what I finally watched? I watched the uh, Adam Goods documentary. Mm. Have you seen that? No. It's called The Australian Dream. It's about the Adam Goods controversy. And so basically, if you don't know, uh, what happened was uh, Adam Goods, very famous former AFL player. And uh, around 2012, 13, 14, he uh, became very passionate about... uh, indigenous issues and he kicked out a girl in a stadium he said she's racially abusing me and then the security took her out uh so she called him an ape and then the security puts the girl into a room for a couple of hours the girl was 13 and then adam goods uh had a press conference the next day saying she's the face of racism in australia and then andrew bolt and other uh, right-wing commentators were talking about how he overreacted and went too far, and then he won Australian of the Year the the year after, and um, people were booing him. Now, when I talk to all AFL fans, they're like, "Oh, mate, we're fucking booing him because he's a fucking shit cunt because he fucking always goes tries to get a free kick." Uh, but then some other AFL fans are like, "No, people were booing him because he stood up for." Aboriginal issues, and then eventually he actually retired, many would say prematurely, and it was a huge saga in the media, and then they made this documentary about it. That's Is that really a documentary? A couple of news.com articles. All I could think about the whole time was like, it wasn't... It was just like NRL supremacy the entire time. Like, yeah, of course, fuck. of course, a fucking AFL player would have a silk like that. <laughs> Wouldn't happen in the greatest game of all, rugby league. And all I could think about was like a few years ago, there's this NRL, there's this Indigenous player Sam Thiday who got on the footy show and he said, so fucking funny. He's like. Yeah, I used to go for uh, the sisters, but then I realised white is right. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Like, all, Holy all, shit. The, the, all these other Indigenous people on Twitter was like, Sam Thaday does not represent us. <laughs> 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 and then I was just was thinking like, fuck, man, the like, Queenslander in him overtook his Indigenous heritage. Dude, Queenslander like, overrides yeah, everything. I'm a proud Indigenous man, but number one, I'm a Queenslander. <laughs> Fucking white pride, you cunt. <laughs> holy hell you know what that is the only difference is that columnists from the sydney morning herald might just might watch a sydney swans match they're not watching the penrith panthers ever (laughs) it's a completely different universe yeah you truly just get one sector of society in it and 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 i went to one the other day it was sick though who was it uh dragons verse obviously bulldogs So, yeah, Bulldogs are meant to be the Lebanese team. Yeah, there were and people at the, the back with a big drum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always. Really imposing, actually. Of course. It was really intimidating. And then... Um, but, dude... There's this one guy just... Heck- uh, Man, if you think we get heckled, holy shit. 
the cheerleaders get heckled so much. And then this one guy was just heckling one of the Bulldogs wingers, um, Nick Meany, the whole time. It's just it's so funny. Oh, man. Just just talking. It just I can't even remember what he was saying, but he's just oh, relentlessly heckling this guy. Just like, yeah, you can't do nothing, Nick. Come on, Nick. They're going to run right through you. Yeah. Dude, is that supposed to be just one of those every hundred people? Yeah. Because every time I've ever been to an NRL, there is some guy there that I'm not too sure about his mental faculties. Seems like he might have a mild (laughs) mental disability. Just be like, you suck fucking mountain the whole time. No, if there's one thing that brings NRL fans together, it's just pure visceral hatred for the ref. If fucking ref, why don't you put the fucking opposition jersey on you can't? They fucking robbed us. <laughs> it's just Lithgow. It's just the population of Lithgow at every game. Yes. <laughs> I, I love remember it. the great. last time that I went to a match. I, it must have been in uni. Who did you go see? I can't remember who the other team was, but I remember that the dogs were there because I remember that afterwards... Uh, somebody uh, in the audience was just like, "Bruz, you better get the fuck out of here. And I was like, what? It's like, because you're not a doggies fan, so you might get stabbed. <laughs> Do you know every year they have this like Tonga versus Samoa uh, game in Campbelltown and there's like always a massive fight at the end. <laughs> like, it's just every single time. <laughs> and I'm always talking to my friend. I'm like, man, we got to go to this Tonga versus Samoa. Yeah, go! And then he's like, dude, I do not want to die. <laughs> Because, but do you think that dude, you would? Surely you'd just be yeah, out of it, right? Uh, yeah, I'd probably. Yeah, yeah, we'd probably be all right. But still, man, fuck. You don't want to get you caught up get in the cross. Co- yeah, right, right, right. You know what those guys are like, bro? Did you look at my fucking girlfriend, bro? Yeah. They usually <laughs> actually no. Islanders are super chill, but then when they get in their like brotherhood phase, they'll fucking stab you. Well, this is what I heard from one of my friends, best friends from high school, went to a Western suburb school that was just filled with Asians, Lebs and Islanders. And he was saying that the Lebs were constantly harassing. They were pretty much just goblins in Lord of the Rings. The Asians just sat around and played handball at lunch. (laughs) Yep, that was me. Yep. Yep. And they were very good. And the Islanders would always play footy and they'd be fine most of the time. They'd be like, hey, bro, you just want to play footy? But if the lebs piss them off too much, they were like the ants in the Lord of the Rings. And they just like pick them up and crush their skulls. Yeah, you do not want to get on the bad side of the Islander group. Jesus Christ. You, you <laughs> actually will that? die. I mean, even the Lebanon, you don't want to get on the bad side of any group, really. But damn, if there was one, if you go to any multicultural school in Sydney, do not piss off the Islander group. Because they're the night. Yeah, you're right. You they're so nice. They're, hey, bro, just went to church on the weekend or whatever. But then, <laughs> yeah, but no. then, if you piss them off, if you say anything about like, haha, yeah, Tonga lost. The fuck, fuck, fucking kill this fucker, come, bro. <laughs> you're gonna die, man. You know, actually, he was talking to me. Now I'm mentioning this a couple of weeks back, <laughs> and there was like a couple of um, guys just at the bus stop yelling i can't remember whatever maybe it was just because they were back from a footing match or something and then some islander just yells out from some housing commission flat Oi, shut the fuck up and then they didn't and then he says i'm fucking warning you dogs you better shut your fucking mouth and they did it and then he comes down and he just punches him in the face once 
And then he's like, see from the other side, it's missing teeth instantly. Yeah. There's so much Don't, power. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> do not piss. Don't piss them off. Simple as that. But it seems like it's kind of a feat to piss them off. Okay. You didn't have to keep yelling after an islander in a housing commission flat tells you to shut up. I'm shutting up at that point. Yeah, I'm not going to keep you know going. What? They say don't victim blame, but your friend deserved that. <laughs> you don't do that, bro. What are you thinking? And you live in the western suburbs. It's not like you don't know. He's obviously not street smart. Yeah. My friend went to a, a performing arts school in Campbelltown and uh, he he looked at a girlfriend of, or something once. Like he did something and then he found out on MSN or something they were all going to try to bash him the next day. He was shitting himself as you would be. What did he do? Oh, he, he looked at stay one of their home, girlfriends or something. Yeah, he stayed home for like a week and a half. And then I think they forgot about it. <laughs> Dude. Did he tell his parents? Oh, prob- How did he? Well, he would. just faked being sick for a week and a half. Yeah, he yeah. didn't do that. Oh, yeah, you'd yeah, have yeah, to yeah, do yeah, something, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to think. My primary school had a lot of everyone. And um, yeah, man, after the Cronulla riots, they were... It was actually really sad. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, after the Cronulla riots, there was just the the Lebanese kids would sit separately to the white kids every lunchtime. Primary school? Yeah. And then always the handballs were like, oh, Lebo's verse, Lebo's verse. It was really sad, actually. So that didn't happen before? No. It was all quite integrated. It was all based, it was based on what um, class you were in. And then... Mm. Things change. No, what you have to do to navigate that those sorts of schools is you have to make friends with some rough kids. You just have to. Mm. If you're the nerd or the drama guy like me, <laughs> you gotta you gotta be able to navigate that. You know what it is? That's why all the comedians and the people we talk about that we criticize so much clearly are people that have never had to navigate these environments where they've had to befriend the rough kids because they look like they would just piss off the rough kids in a second. Yes. Whereas you yes. and I, we can like, uh, like you know, do enough to make friends with them. Yeah, no skills in that environment at all. I'm sure it'll be the same in some, you know, rural house school. You probably have to befriend the isatic kid or whatever or the, you know, the fucking... The Bogan kids. Because you just have to do that. You have to because otherwise you're going to get, you're literally going to get bashed every day. Yeah, because um, I used to go to a rural school. I think that was the game. Yeah, you would have to befriend the hillbillies. Those are the ones because they were wild kids. Unpredictable. I guess that was the mm. version of just uh, kids that were in gangs. That didn't really exist in the bush, but everyone was just cut snake. Because they came from families where they'd eat roadkill and shit. Oh, and go, like, pig hunting or whatever. Yeah. I was talking to this guy who was just such a classic bogan. And then even he was talking about this these other people that go pig hunting. And he's like, oh, it's just fucking gross. Like, I wouldn't fucking do that. They get their dogs to, like, hunt this pig and half the time the dogs die. It's just feral. And I'm like, fuck it, this guy's saying it's feral. It must be fucking feral. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this guy had a mullet. <laughs> but he was saying... That's it's his, such a status symbol in life, isn't it? Yeah, they get... It's they, either I refuse to work or I don't have to work. <laughs> yeah. So apparently they get uh, a bunch of dogs, put them in a ute, and they're trained 
pig hunting dogs and they just get them out there. Yeah, go fucking hunt the piggy cunts. Mm. Mm. And then half the times the dog gets Gorge. injured, yeah, and they just, yeah, fuck, that's what it is. having said that though like if there is an economic collapse they're the ones that are going to survive in mad max (laughs) the ones that are peeing yeah they're the ones that are they're resourceful they know what to do not that far away from hunting a human either yeah (laughs) they probably have (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wouldn't put it past them how much of a census is going on in these bumfuck nowhere places (laughs) you gotta but you know what if i went to a uh, rural area, yeah, you got to befriend the pig hunters. Mm. No, you do. Yeah. And also the other thing is, like you were saying, they teach you all these survival techniques. So, for instance, I remember this one kid, Lloyd Bush, that I used to hang out with, and that kid couldn't read. <laughs> but I had to sit next to him. They always put the smile. They always, the teachers are like, oh, you'll help influence the, the bad kids. Yeah, what is no, this? No, the reverse happens. Then you become a cunt. Yes, or at the very least, it's kind of like Homer putting salt into the freshwater tank and there's the yabby and the, there's the lobster and the fish and they <laughs> yeah. kind of just half even out like this. I think that's what happens. Hayes because he, I kind of taught that kid to read <laughs> and he taught me how to fish. Well, that's a good exchange of skills there. I guess, but I've never used fishing ever since. Well, if but you ever still, need to. Yeah, maybe he never used reading ever since either, but like, he's, it's there. He's there if he ever needs it. What? Oh, was this the one you went to in, was it Port Macquarie? No, nah, Bellingshin. It was up there. Yeah, that is. And so it's like an hour away from Coffs Harbour, maybe half. No, I think it's an hour. Hmm. That was the, the, the divide of that school. It was so weird. It was hippies, farmers, and hillbillies. And you know what? In general, just couldn't see eye to eye with the farmers at all. Didn't like the... Actually, the people that I liked the most were the hillbillies. <laughs> Think about it. So it was Green's... They had character. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So it was Greens voters, Liberal voters, and One Nation voters. Yeah, no. No, no. This is what it was. It was Greens voters, Nationals voters, uh, yep. and known voters. <laughs> just like <laughs> half the green. Even have an American accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no way that they're going to vote. You know, uh, in in prison in Australia, right, there's all these weird alliances. So apparently there's alliances between the indigenous population in uh, prison and the Lebanese population. And then the islanders and the white prisoners have an alliance. Really? Yeah, and they have these big gang wars. That's really surprising. I I wouldn't have thought that that would be the divide. Well, like... Indigenous and Lebanese kind of look a little bit more similar than they look closer to each other than they do to Islanders or Caucasians. I got to say, as soon as you said that the whites were paired up with the Islanders, I was like, fuck, I'm glad to have them on my side. Jesus. That is the most valued player out of those four. Yeah, true. Fuck. Who were the fucking... (laughs) I don't know who the Indians I just have to pretend. Yeah, bro, I'm Aboriginal. Is there any like, Indian? Yeah, you're just going to have to say that. Shit, if I ever go to prison, I'm fucked. There's not going to be an Indian gang in there. No. Do you think there's any Indians in jail right now? Maybe like two in white collar prisons. <laughs> That'd be it. Dude, they're getting fucking raped every day. <laughs> I know. Holy. There'd be some, there'd be some like Vietnamese in that. Oh, yeah. I think they had an alliance with the, um, with the white and... 
uh, this is based on one book, by the way, and there's like one what chapter. What was the book? Uh, the one I was talking about a few podcasts ago, the, uh, Australia's Worst Prisons. Ah, uh, yeah. So interesting. Of Such course. an easy read. It's an airport read, but it's yeah. so interesting. Yep, 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 yep. Prisons always are. There are some Asians now because there's some Asian gangs out there, and there's always been Vietnamese gangs and things, and I think they're closer to the white and the Islander alliance. So it's just Aboriginals and Libs. This is what the book, yeah, they they had an alliance of some sort. I mean, yeah, like when, like why Anthony Mundine became a Muslim? Like how the hell, you know, where did that happen? How did, yeah, how does that, that even happen? Going down. I think, I think it's just a bit of a, a lot of people in jail actually convert to Islam from what I've, from what I've heard. And now there'd probably be a lot of Africans in jail as well. Fuck, a lot of this could get clipped out of context so badly. But look. I wonder who they they I'm guessing they probably have an alliance with the it seems like it's just rugby and not rugby. <laughs> like the White and the Islanders, they play rugby. Mm. And then the others fight. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, but Libs and Aboriginals play rugby. They do, but not as Actually, no, Aboriginals do. Yeah. Islanders, it is their soccer. It's they, yeah, it's their religion. Whites, I guess our soccer is cricket. Yeah. yeah I really the, don't know how the these alliances go? happen. Where would the, they'd probably be aligned with the whites. Yeah, that's the other question. Is there wogs in jail? Yeah. Because I think this was actually what Spaniard was talking about in one of his videos where he was saying, I was the only wog in there. That's why they started calling me Spaniard because I'm Spanish, bro. Easy. I always thought he was Aboriginal. Did you? I thought he was Spaniard because his name's Spaniard. So I assumed that that was some kind of derivative of Spaniard. I swear. I, but, uh, well, he grew up in like Redfin and <laughs> I just thought. So well, you assumed it, yeah. I just assumed, yeah. <clears throat> That's what I was like. I was like, what the fuck? Is there any Spanish people in Australia? But it's just Spaniard somehow. Right. That's what I'm saying. There's no <laughs> walks in prison. Man, you got to write his biography, bro. You yes, love I this do. Guy. I've studied that has man. He, has he, because you've continually posted about him, has he said anything? No, Christ, no. You're going to get the best in there. It's, yeah, that's it's, it. No, I think it's, 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 it's like even dismissed more than that. I reckon his manager would just say, hey, somebody did this video about him. He's like, who's this faggot? And then he looked at it. He's like, man, this is fucking shit, bro. And then just got on with his day. <laughs> Walking around Mullamaloo. <laughs> That's his whole day. You gotta put you gotta employ more push pull. <laughs> what, you're a shit can't Spaniard. But nothing <laughs> gets to this guy. He spent too much time in jail because he's always saying yeah. that the people are constantly saying, I'll fuck you, Spaniard. Spaniard, come up here. I wanna bash you. I wanna come to Brisbane. Bro, I don't fucking care. If you can bash me, so what? You're in Brisbane. Who gives a shit? You're mm. never gonna give me a chance to bash you. I'm not gonna go up there so you can bash me. What the fuck are you talking about? Right. Well, he makes good points. I know. He? he always does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let's transition out of all that problematic talk. And actually, no, let's continue the problematic talk. <laughs> no, go back in. A full 180 because I want to talk about a breakdown of the actual core issues of the culture war. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to just talk about left versus right or whatever. I think I've written down a few things here. Mm. And I think these are... Just while you're getting that, I'm going to get some more tea, but yeah. Okay. Just get that stuff out. Well, I'm going to continue talking here for a while. In fact, it's a good point for me to actually... I have um, sort of written down a few of the concepts here, I think. 
so I think one of the first big concepts of the culture war is biological essentialism versus social constructivism. So essentially, that's just to what degree are we a, b a blank slate? How malleable is our behavior? And how much of it is steeped in our inherent biology? Because that determines so much about so what policy yes, what policy in initiatives would actually be effective? Yeah, do we need to control various impulses? Um, because one side of the culture war says no, it's entirely socially constructed, and we're eternally malleable, or at least we're much more on the side of malleability on that scale. Uh, but it's sort of it criticizes and even rejects analyses of group differences between men and women as biological or as even inherently but behavioral void of any culture it'll say no it's just culture that's influenced the differences between men and women mm. um what does equality actually look like because some people say equality is parity in every facet of life or in every major facet of the economy and the governmental process. Whereas some people say it's a quality of opportunity, mm. which are two very different things. We mm. shouldn't have a quality of opportunity, but it ties into the first one. If, if we're entirely malleable and there isn't a perfect parity, especially in positions that wield uh, greater amounts of power and influence, that means that there is systemic discrimination because if we are purely just blank slates from when we are born, there are no real group differences other than the ones that are culturally ingrained, then there's no reason it shouldn't be perfectly uh, aligned and equitable. But the other view, which is that you know, there's some form of biological differences or group cultural differences, then you can never actually have equity because there will be different aggregate behaviors of various groups. Mm. and that will result in differing outcomes. Mm. And then one other school of thought is that there is a placebo effect of just having role models within positions of power, or we are biased towards people in our in-group, whether that's a gender in-group or a cultural in-group or even a racial in-group, and therefore enacting quotas is a way to alleviate those biases or at least counteract certain majority biases with... Um, new minority biases, and then that sort of evens things out a little bit. Mm. And then we've got, yeah, utopianism versus best possible situation. So that is, some people think we can get to a point where it is essentially a utopia, where there is perfect equality, perfect happiness, no hierarchies whatsoever. There's no crime, there's no rape. It's completely eradicated. Uh, there's no racism, there's no discrimination, nothing like that. All of that is learnt behaviour. And we can actually strive for a society where none of that exists whatsoever. Whereas another school of thought would be, no, all of this is part of the human condition and we have to try to minimise it, mitigate the consequences of some of this behaviour and set out to punish it and to quell it but in trying to achieve a perfect solution, we actually do more harm than good because you're assuming that we can get to a point where we alleviate this altogether. And if that is the assumption, then 
it also comes back to the idea that it's entirely cultural and it's just ingrained into us socially to behave in such a way. Or it's steeped in various inequities and inequalities. And that's why people commit crime. That's why people commit heinous acts. It's because they've been told it's appropriate or that they can get away with it. Not that that it's just the dark side of the human condition, if you want to put it that way. Mm, mm. Um, then I think we have, yeah, the relationship between group culture and performance. Is that a chicken and egg situation? So what I was trying to understand there is there are aggregate cultural and behavioral differences between various groups. Now, is that due to the circumstances they find themselves in or does the culture contribute to the circumstances they find themselves in? Now, I'm guessing it's a combination of both, but many would say it's also on some form of spectrum wherein um, if a certain group, whether it's a racial group or uh, a a gender or a gender identity find themselves in uh, conditions of squalor or, you know, below average income, working class, poorer, that then determines their culture. So the culture is influenced by the conditions in which they live. And then they adopt a culture that isn't conducive to being successful within the given system. So it's the system itself that's at fault and not the culture. Whereas some people would say, no, the culture is what is influencing their end position in a given system. And that's a point yeah, of contention. You're going to have to go back to that there. one later, actually. That's, I'm having troubles with grasping that one. So, so <clears throat> does culture influence circumstances or does circumstances influence culture? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so, so it's just say, nature okay, so, and nurture on a macro yeah, 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 scale. Yeah. So ben, when Ben Shapiro is like, well, they should just not commit crime. It's as simple as that. And then... What does Joe Rogan say? Yeah, but can you understand when you grow up in the hood and you're going to be influenced to join a gang and want to sell drugs? Mm. Yeah. So which one is it? Is it the culture or is it the conditions that are forcing them to adopt that particular culture? <clears throat> it's probably, I'm, I'm guessing it's definitely a combination of both. But anyway, that's a big point of contention because then that also would influence the um, policy initiatives or just the uh, the type of activism and the type of change you would want to attempt to encourage because if if it's the economic conditions or the uh, position in the hierarchy or the system, then yes, you do need to actually fight the system and change that. But if it's the culture then no, the system may be imperfect, and but it could be the best version we have of any economic and governmental system, and it's the culture that needs to be influenced and changed. And there's very different methods to changing either the system or the culture. Man, you know what? After observing a lot of these Spanian videos, mm-hmm. I think it's the culture. Yeah, and you don't think if you grow up, say, in a housing commission in whatever it is, Woolamaloo or whatever, that would then influence your culture? Massively, if you don't have the opportunities and things like that. I'm playing devil's advocate. I agree. I actually think... I no, think it's a combination I, of both, look, for sure. I really don't think that that's the case. It's the same thing with Vietnamese immigrants. When they go to any other culture, 
they assimilate into that culture very quickly and they become very successful up in this. I think that yeah. they are the race that does the best when they go overseas and, out of all the rest. And of that's the biggest evidence for uh, the cultural argument, which is that there are many other immigrant groups that have come here and managed to uh, transcend whatever uh, w- lower class conditions they're originally <clears throat> encumbered with. But say that. conversely, you listen to Spanion, what is he doing? He is giving people advice on how to get a housing commission house. There is no way that that is the advice that is being imparted when you come from Vietnam. They are saying, you start up bakery, you start up laundromat. That's what they're telling mm. their kids. Mm. Oh, no, no. Actually, the immigrants are saying, I'll start up a laundromat, you go be a doctor. Mm-hmm. That's what they're telling their kids. Mm. Now, when you look at the, say, African-Americans specifically or Indigenous Australians specifically, there is a different experience. They are not migrants. So there is the argument then that it's uh, intergenerational trauma. I just don't like that word. Trauma <laughs> makes it sound weird to me. But uh, that is essentially the argument that it, uh, the uh, pain and suffering that was uh, brought on by the original settlers or the slave traders continually is passed down through generations. They can't accrue and build wealth. They can't therefore give their children uh, opportunities for educational attainment. And that then compounds every generation to the point where they are in ghettos. And Yeah, but that's cultural as well. Like if you are remote indigenous... Yes. You don't have access to resources. That is irrefutable. But that is also part of the fact that it's just the tyranny of distance. If you're in a city center, there's going to be a lot more resources because there's a lot more people. Mm, mm. That's that's true. But the thing is, I that, like you know, it's if also you a combination are, of both as well, though. I think it's if you're an indigenous person and you grow up in Vaucluse, I can almost guarantee that you're going to be a banker. Or some high-end job. I think it's the same thing as what happened to me. I grew up in a rich area. My parents were poor and working class. Mm -hmm. But it's just we somehow lucked out by having really rich... uh, Sorry, we had like a really good landlord that just gave us really cheap rent. It was actually cheaper for us to live in the eastern suburbs in this one house. It was a shack, but it was still like in a rich area than it would have been to have gone and lived out in the western suburbs. It was Mm. just we had a nice landlord, so we lucked out on that, right? Uh, There was, like, a couple of other kids there that were poor that were just from, like, housing commission or whatever. Uh, But honestly, I really think that a big part of the fact that I grew up to be quite well off is because I remember just walking around as a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, around all of these mansions... And just thinking, oh, this is the norm. This is what most people are supposed to aim for in life. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about social norms and social pressure, familial pressure. All of those things contribute to, I guess, the aggregate behaviors of people within a certain community or group. Another example of this is my girlfriend, her parents decided to stay in the Shire as opposed to go to Cabramatta where all the other Vietnamese were. Because they had one look at the kids with all of their ratty little peroxide blonde hair and having that wog accent that we were talking about before. And they thought, no, I'm not going to raise my kids like that. <laughs> so they went to the shy. They went oh, to the shy. <laughs> but it's better. That's the difference, slightly. dude. Slightly. But it is look, slightly, the but it's an improvement. But then for some people, they don't have, I'm get, you know, to play 
devil's advocate again, they don't have the opportunity to move out of whatever circumstances they may be in. Maybe there's something to be said about... But that's true. But like, again, I'm saying that that's a cultural thing. That is the culture. If you have the opportunity and you have the wisdom to observe that these cultures are different and you can step outside it for a second and think, hmm, do I want to live in Cabramatta or the Shire? Mm -hmm. That's one thing. But also just being in a culture itself is having a constant influence on how you see the world because mm. it is your world that's the world that you are spending all of your time in so you just think yeah that's the norm that's definitely that's definitely true how do you change something like that how do you change a culture i think you can either do it in a very authoritarian propagandistic way uh or you have to just have a bunch of good samaritans who come and try and influence people look i think it is twofold i think if if people are given some form of resources and educational opportunities through some income redistribution that would help but ultimately the culture does have to change as well you know what the old adage is it's give a man a fish you feed him for a day teach a man a fish you you, you know you feed him forever there is that simple principle, but on a much more macro scale. A lot of these other things as well are a lot more superficial than you think. I remember there was an example of a general during the Gulf War that was in control of a certain precinct, and he observed that there would be a riot every day around 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought, well, this is just because we're the occupiers and they are revolting because that is part of their culture and they amass there to kind of G each other up in their Islamic beliefs and then they go nuts. Mm. You know what he noticed? All of these kebab stands are opening up and people just stick around and get pissed off. So all he did was ban street vendors from the town square And the riots stopped overnight because people weren't going into the city centre to get a feed anymore because it just wasn't there. So they thought, oh, okay, I'll just stay at home. It was as simple as that. It was as simple as that. Gosh, there you go. I think a lot of these things are a lot simpler than people give them credit for. And there is actually like kind of an industry in bureaucracies and there is an industry in the press of making these things seem a lot more complicated than they are. You know, the other example that is constantly used as the simple example that I love so much. The broken windows policy. What's the broken windows policy? Oh yeah, that's a good one as well. That was where, uh, I think it was either the seventies or the eighties in New York where Rudy Giuliani, who was then the mayor, implemented a very tough stance on crime wherein even the theory was that even the the um, slightest evidence of uh, a misdemeanor or, or crime or criminal behavior was immediately taken care of. And that w- meant it was less likely for people to copy that because it was a sort of culture that everyone, um, everyone was a, a sponge, mm. if you will, and they... They, uh, I think, showed studies where if if a wall has no graffiti on it, people are much less likely to actually deface it. But then as soon as there's one little instance of graffiti, then overnight 
there's hundreds of people mm. who've graffitied mm. the wall. Mm. So that was mm. the theory behind mm. it. And well, there was a huge correlation between the that policy being enacted and then the crime rate dropping. But then there are people on the other side who say, no, nah, there were other factors involved there. In other cities across America, crime was also dropping where they weren't having that same policy. But on a very gut level, it seems to make sense. Doesn't it? When I have a very tidy apartment, I'm much more inclined to keep it tidy. Mm. That's purely anecdotal there, but it does seem to make logical sense. Even when you're walking around a suburb that doesn't have any garbage in it, I have felt that pull and noticed it because of that example mm. that you have a piece of trash in your hand, you have the thought of, eh, I'll just drop it, but then you stop for a second and think, there's no other trash around here. Maybe, maybe I'm not allowed mm. to do that. I can't sell this pristine environment. happens. Yeah. You feel almost intimidated by the environment. It's kind of like shopping at Kmart for a long time and then walking into David Jones. You just feel a little bit small and out of place. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. What were you going to say was another example of how a lot of this is superficial? Just how the Americans... And the Russians, when they went into space, the Americans spent millions of dollars trying to figure out how to make a pen that would write upside down for when they were in zero gravity. Mm -hmm. And then the Russians just used pencils. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. You know? Like, what's, like, wait, what's that got to do with... Because a what? lot of these things, there's huge industries around... Oh, we've got to think about the integration of Tongans into Sydney... How do we make sure that they are successfully integrated into Sydney? And they'll, they'll have all of uh -huh. these committees and they'll have a bunch of programs that yeah, are set so up for these people. And it's really, again, doing. another example of middlemen and it's just justifying gestures. their existence. And what they do, we'll have a festival where we get some dances every year. Yeah, that'll make them not want to commit crime. Fucking idiots. Anyway. Yeah, it's always <laughs> the same it's I, I, I really think they that pat it is themselves a, on the back. Yeah, I deserved my three hundred thousand dollar salary there. See? As the freaking multicultural minister or whatever. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I honestly think that there's a couple of things that could probably be done to make uh like a di a real difference in these things. For, for instance, what was Spanion saying? Because really, he was kind <laughs> of just admitting that they're all cunts as kids. He was just like, that was just our life. Like, everyone was a criminal, so we just did criminal shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like how other people were into footy or some people were into dance or whatever. We were just into axe-taying shit. So how do you get them to not be into that and to offer a different path for them, especially if that path seems... Mm, not as successful for them, especially if they're already behind in school and things like that. it clearly wasn't successful. They all turned out to be drug addicts that were in jail, and that was what their elders were like as well, drug addicts still, that were in jail. But it still gives them a form of respect in the streets or whatever. See? So See? That's you, what I'm saying. That's, yeah. the, that's the carrot there. It's just such a stupid carrot. So then how do you... But, then, but, the, but again, how do you actually change that? Because if they're growing up in a with a single mother who also is dating men who are drug dealers and that's the environment they're in. Do we have to have stricter um, foster parenting and, and 
taking away kids from parents if they if we think that the parents are just going to be a terrible influence on them because then you start getting into because now there's an overcorrection of what occurred during the stolen generation so now no matter what happens to a kid if the kid is aboriginal they basically just cannot take it away from the birth parents mm. unless the kid's life is quite literally in danger mm. and then there are now some people who are actually coming out saying you know i was literally being abused but the system wouldn't take me away from my parents because they were too scared of recreating the stolen generation so there's mm. almost an overcorrection mm. going on oh, this is not something i'm particularly as i say at the beginning of the podcast i'm not an expert on that just read a few articles here and there so what do you do? Do you do you then have stricter laws about taking kids away from parents if we think that the parents will not be, be good for them? Yeah, look, that big there would be def- there'd be definitely people that I think uh, you know there would be. All I know is that for purely because my mum was in the education system, she was just saying that the Whitlam era of education of just kind of moving teachers around. So say that there was some teachers that were in rich areas and they were good teachers and then putting them into poorer areas, that improved the education standard throughout the entire nation significantly. <clears throat> yeah, I kind of I, I think there just needs to be a lot more... Uh... Uh, cross people are in their bubbles too much in their uh, yeah, that's lifestyle what I'm saying. It's bubbles, just, yes, their economic yes. bubble, their cultural bubbles, whatever it may be. Because if you're in a crap suburb, it kind of just breeds crapness. It just keeps going in a downward spiral. Mm. Yeah, that's what happens. So yeah, you're right. I think that really when it comes <laughs> to changing culture... What you're really talking about is changing habits. And those things might be a lot simpler than you think. Changing value, sure. But I think that the actual practical thing that has this instantaneous response like a dog, you know, how you just put a piece of meat in front of a dog and they'll start salivating because they've seen that piece of stimulus. Hmm. That's what happens with habits. And the big thing with that is people who are growing up in... Uh, squalor need to actually believe that adopting those positive habits will be of benefit to them because now the rhetoric that is being espoused which i'm so against is that the system is against you because of your race you'll never be able to to make it or there'll be just insurmountable obstacles for you then that makes them more likely to give up they've actually done studies about this where they've they've now uh had a few young black kids and before hearing a certain i don't know if it was a speech or a video or a documentary or something like that they had a lot more faith in where they could end up in society and what they're capable of achieving and then just hearing some of that rhetoric that we're constantly hearing nowadays they're uh belief in themselves and their, their their faith in being able to succeed went down immediately. Yeah, it's Motivation 101. And it's just purely for these champagne cultural socialists to pat themselves on the back by creating these victims so they can, <laughs> they can 
fulfill their maternal instincts. That's what I think it is at the end of the day. Uh, I don't disagree with it. Okay. I think that, but I think that also the other thing is that, okay, you could show those black kids that thing saying that, uh, you know, you are statistically likely to go down, but what would be more likely for them to get ahead in life is if you just started making them do track and field for half an hour a day, just so they got that habit into their body that they're supposed to exercise for half an hour a day instead of just eating shit at an American canteen and getting fat. Yeah, you I know, mean, I agree. Something like that is going to change their life a lot. Easier said than done, though, but I, I agree. I'd creating good habits at a school it could be what you're looking for, not to educate them about... Uh, these nebulous Why concepts of never privilege. going to change exactly. their position. Yes. Rather, instilling good habits, that could be a much more effective strategy. Uh, and then the, the last points of conflict are similar to things that we've already spoken about. So to what degree do we attribute group disparities to the system? System referring to the sum total of economic, political, and social institutions and structures. Uh, I think we've already talked about that. So is it the group and within the group where the problem lies or is it the system? So it comes a lot of this comes down to social constructivism and biological essentialism because if you think all humans are blank slates and we're capable of the exact same things and there's no inherent biological differences in either whatever it may be, physical ability, mental capabilities, then, of course, if you see group disparities, you immediately would assume that there is a flawed and discriminatory system at play. And it's not because of potential cultural or group differences. Or if there are cultural differences, if you adopt a mantra of cultural relativism, then you are still then insinuating that the system itself is discriminatory because all cultures are equal in this worldview. They're just different. And who are we to judge? It's the system that is judging because the system was built by people who are biased to their own culture and therefore even measurements like IQ are inherently biased to people who adopt the culture. And that's where this idea of, you know, whiteness or whatever comes from. And that's also a big point of contention. Essentially, is it the system? Is it the sort of economic model that we're living under? Or is it uh, cultural and group differences? Um, then we got non-racism versus anti-racism. So this is just differences in the definition of racism. So if you believe that racism is the utilization of your power, power being economic or social, whatever influence you may have to oppress a given race, that is racism. So by that definition, a less privileged group cannot be racist to a group in power. So I can't be racist to a white person because I'm part of a underprivileged group and therefore I can be prejudiced, but uh, racism is prejudice with power. That's the way that they've changed the definition now. Whereas most people, that's where we get these internet comment arguments where people don't actually know what they're arguing about because they're arguing over a, diff they're arguing over a different definition of racism. Uh, whereas most people and most dictionaries will still define racism as prejudice against, prejudice against someone because of their race. It's got nothing to do with power. There's no there's no discussion of that in there at all. Mm. So that's a huge point of contention there. 
Um, and then oh, even if they're... everyone online is always saying that shit? Yes. So that's where that comes from. It's the idea that uh, the system itself, it, because if you adopt, it, it, it all comes down to this, I think. It's a social constructivist view. Humans are a blank slate. And also utopianism, we can reach this perfect society. And uh, cultural relativism, then the only thing left is the system. It's flawed because it, one group is succeeding so much in the system, where whereas other groups are not. Therefore, the system is just biased towards this particular group. Mm. And that's where all this rhetoric of bring down the system and the racist system uh, comes from. Mm. And mm. anti-racism is, 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 the, is the notion that we, it's almost see it's fighting against racism if uh, if people from underprivileged groups are uh, in some in some ways being racist with the other definition of racist towards say white people because you're then punching up you're fighting against those power structures right so very right. it can be very convoluted and confusing but essentially uh, one group is saying that. Racism is a, uh, you know, it's a power struggle where uh, a dominant group is trying to oppress another group. And then another school of thought says racism is just discrimination against people due to their ethnicity or race. And that's where so much confusion comes from because people don't, aren't consistent with the the definition of racism they're arguing for or against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the two main, that's my, in, in my understanding. And so that goes to all the isms. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when you talk about things like white, the white homogenous culture and. Isn't that really interesting know, that it's. Heteronormality. Heteronormative. God, so the culture war really is a lot more of an amorphous blob than you would imagine because you always assume that people that are on the side of you're a racist to everything also really hate the idea of there being a hierarchy. But in order to sit there and say you're a racist, they are inventing a hierarchy in their mind. Well, no, that they're saying that that hierarchy is a creation of oppression. More than anything else. Well, they're trying else. to dismantle it. Yes. Right, right, Yes, right, right, so right, the hierarchy right. exists because one group is trying to oppress the other group. That's where you get that term neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism because it's got parallels where there's an op- oppressor group and an oppressed group. So it is actually true. Those really are the two divides. One group thinks that hierarchies exist and that's natural and the other group think that, no, that's mean that hierarchy should exist. That's definitely part of it. I think, like I said, a lot of this comes down to uh, are we blank slates or not? That should be what everyone's arguing because we have to decide on that first before we go. All this other stuff depends on that. How malleable are we? I think we are very malleable, but I don't think we're entire blank, blank slates. I don't think uh, that anybody that's normal thinks oh, that. Hang on. Sorry, your cord came undone. No, there you go. Talk. This one. Yeah. yeah. He's back. Isn't that what everybody thinks? You'd think so, but I don't, well, I don't know. Well, surely most normal people that haven't been indoctrinated spent way too much time on Reddit, yeah, haven't been indoctrinated, mm-hmm. would think 
that you have a certain level of personal power and then there are a lot of outside circumstances that influence your life and boohoo for you what those are. There's I think nothing that you can really do about I that. I do think, well, <laughs> forget the last part, but I think most people in who aren't on the fringes and who aren't the most vocal would agree with that. And they would say, let's take reasonable steps to help alleviate some of the suffering for people who have been born into unfortunate circumstances or have suffered some form of discrimination. But this ideology of the system and the oppressor group and the non-oppressor group, it's just so many conflicting schools of academic thought that have come together and molded into this modern ideology that people just refer to as woke. But there's a lot more to it. And even I, I don't know fully, but there are people out there who have uh, written a lot of books on there, on it. And you should check those out. But every time the I read those books, affairs, just... have you... No, what's that? That's where uh, there were three academics a couple of years ago. A lot of them, they've been on Joe Rogan a few times, who had seen the ideological corruption occur in the social sciences. So they... Um, they submitted mock journals and studies oh. to a lot of these uh, social science journals. Yeah, Two of them got published. Mm. A lot of them were in the process of being reviewed, peer-reviewed, and then they had these others ready to go. And one of them was, you know, the conceptual, you know, how dog sex is a form of rape and represents the patriarchy. Or so. it's, it's satire. <laughs> it was pure satire. And they got accepted. That should have been mainstream news that's huge that says this entire branch of academia is entirely corrupt mm, mm, mm. you cannot take it seriously mm. anyone who's doing any degree here how can you trust this now mm, mm. it's so corrupt but it was sort of squashed no one really spoke about it but look up the uh grievance studies affair it's really really interesting and okay what are the limits and or or what is the efficacy of utilizing something like lived experience as a truth-seeking mechanism? So the uh, argument for something like lived experience is that we all have a biased perception of the world. Our reality is inherently subjective. And a lot of that is based on our group identity and immutable characteristics that uh, will influence said lived experience. And therefore, if we... Uh, are, uh, if we can hear a diverse array of various people's lived experiences from differing groups, we get a more complete picture of the world because we have a larger expanse of experiences that we can then help that can help us better understand uh the the world and the reality of people who are different to us and we can actually get closer to the truth that's the argument for it the argument against it would be something like lived experience is, a, is an entirely subjective notion and it's no different to just someone's personal experience and when we're debating ideas and political concepts lived experience though it may play a part especially if it's some sort of policy that would disproportionately affect someone of a particular group or community, it actually would mean that the person 
speaking from their lived experience, would be very biased. And therefore, we're not getting a rational view on whatever policy or cultural decision needs to be made. And I tend to agree with that one. I think lived experience is a very, I think it's a, in many ways, it can actually be quite a manipulative thing because you're often having a political discussion, which so this this is all Q&A is. It's just people being like, well, you don't know what it's like being, you know, a woman of color. And that is true. If you're not a woman of color, that is true. You don't know what it's like. But why should that then dictate your authority on any given policy or social initiative? Though I think someone with particular experience may be able to have a larger voice on a Mm. given issue. It shouldn't be the ultimate voice at all. You know, just because if you've had coronavirus... You can't go around saying, well, I dealt with the pain of coronavirus, therefore I think this is the best medical step to take in alleviating the pandemic. No, that's ridiculous. You talk to the person who's actually studied the coronavirus and Mm, he knows mm, what they're mm. dealing with there. So I think lived experience, you know what? There are a lot of people, I think it's maybe a negotiator thing. Um, I think people who maybe feel like their lived experiences is inherently connected to a certain political position and therefore if you disagree with that political position you're somehow denying or diminishing certain pain or or suffering they may have endured and i think you know what this may be even quite brutal but that's a very immature mentality to have and i think if you really want to debate serious ideas and topics you have to leave your personal experience at the door because that's going to that's not going to permit you to be as rational as you possibly can. Yeah, but in an ideal world. It should be different I tiers of thinking, discussion. I've just been so humbled. Pretty much ever since we started this podcast, it was really coincidental. But it's, I just keep coming back to it over and over again. I don't think that you can drop that shit. I think that your lived experience, whether you're a policymaker or a scientist, or even if you are in one of these very rational positions, you probably have the faculties to make more rational decisions. Sure. But still just all of your life experiences are just acting as a filter in front of it the that's, whole time. That's definitely true. But what I am saying is that you can't... Someone who may not have the same lived experience as you should also be allowed to have an opinion on whatever policy initiative or cultural argument you're making. Because what tends to happen is, oh, I'm a, if I say, you know, as a, I'm a brown person and we need to have quotas of 20% brown people, we need to increase the intake of brown people into Australia because I've experienced racism, that's my lived experience. And then you say, no, I don't think that's a good idea because X, Y, Z. I'm then going to, I then undertake a form of what is essentially emotional manipulation in saying that, oh, so you're denying my pain and suffering, are you? Which has got nothing to do with the issue at hand. Mm. It's quite childish, if really, mm, mm. at the end of the day. Mm, mm. So I think these people, maybe you need to, I'm going to sound like a boomer here, but I think, there are a lot of people who are just really fragile and maybe have experienced a lot of trauma and pain and they need to deal with that first before they can debate these kind of issues. 
Well, they can have they can have a little bit of that, but maybe we have a different area of discourse where people can talk about their personal experiences of pain and suffering. Maybe that helps them and they can get to some form of objective truth through that. But then there needs to be a different area of discourse where people can obviously not be immune to their life experience but you're but, probably right they are definitely projecting if they're just putting it onto their race or something else that's external because as soon as they're doing that they're kind of just scattering it to a large group of people instead of again but this is you know what a lot of this i think actually really is so why do you so it's power? just how much exactly how much personal power do you think you have yeah so it may be from people who feel powerless and helpless so if anything they need help before they that would be the core of their worldview. They need to be listened to, sure, but... The core of their worldview is a victim mentality, which is usually when you're talking about this subject, that word inevitably comes about. Yeah. And it is because I truly think that that is the core of how they're looking at the world. They are looking at the world happening to them. They have no idea that they can shape it. Well, they have no perception in their mind that they can shape it. They're constantly looking for reasons mm. why the world is shaping them. It's a prominent uh, well, phrase, but also a concept that's being taken not only seriously, but sometimes as the be-all and end-all of all discussion now. You're not allowed to have a alternative viewpoint if someone has had a very tumultuous or stressful lived experience. It's really yes, no, but the thing that I'm saying stifling. about when when it comes to that worldview, though, yes, that's the that's one extreme end of it that they might be using their culture or their background or their race to, I guess, kind of magnify their importance in a debate. But I think that also what would happen is a lot of people would be still using a lot of the filters that is their upbringing. Yeah. But I'm they would be using it, yeah. a lot of... They, they would just be using different words... Sure. Uh, ...to pretty much justify their worldview that is there. Mm. Okay. Let me let me rephrase it. And I'm not saying we can ever avoid a concept like lived experience, but what can't happen is, is weaponizing lived experience as a way to silence dissent. That's if that's that's probably the best way I can put it. Weaponizing lives experience to silence dissent. You can say this is my lived experience. Kind of impossible. But you can say, look, this is my truth, my lived experience, and I'm not denying that either because there there is a certain truth to that. Where, of course, a, a white person up until maybe particularly recently has never made to has never been made to feel. Uh, othered or smaller or discriminated against because of their race Uh, and hearing the true extent of the emotional truth of that can change people's perspectives there's definitely a a truth and a value to something like lived experience in that context where it's usually utilized but what is very dangerous is a situation where that lived experience is the ultimate say on a given issue. And no one is allowed to question, comment, or say anything in response to it. And we should actively be trying to alleviate that impulse within ourselves because we all have certain instances of pain and suffering and whatever we may have endured, and it could be due to 
uh, group circumstances that we weren't in control of. But I would always try not to say to someone else, look, this is my lived experience. This is what I've gone through. Uh, you, no, you're wrong about whatever you may say in response to it. But yeah, look, that is an example of lived experience that is so juvenile. It's And there's so many people that have that. And I think that also the fact that social media exists, you now know that these people exist when really these people would be so dysfunctional that you, in a world where social media didn't exist, not know that these people existed. They wouldn't be... Possibly. ...put together enough to have any community significance. Very, very rarely would you have somebody like... Uh, Potentially, yeah. Clementine Ford, for instance, in a position where she has a voice frequently, you know? People like that that are that messed up would kind of just be in nut houses or they, you know, low functioning people, right? But now they have, so you're seeing these people and so, and there's more of them coming together and they can just go under a banner and say, I demand this. I think it's kind of more pervasive when it comes to people that actually are in decision-making positions. Like mm. say that you're on a local council, right? And then you say, yeah, we should put a stop sign on McNally Street because uh, it's close to the main road. Um, it only costs 60 grand and uh, there's a park nearby. You could be using all of those justifications and you would be using the language that the council uses to make a justification for putting a stop sign there. But maybe the reality is that you just grew up on McNally Street. So you want McNally Street to have some preference because you have fond memories of that street. You know what I'm talking about? There's yeah. more subtle versions sure. of a lived experience. That, again, I'm not saying any human is immune to project their personal experiences and preferences Onto but any that's decision what I'm saying. I think it's just like but, but the difference they're there, low functioning versions sure. of that. The di yeah, and the difference there would be like, you know, I grew up on McNally Street and I'm very it holds a place that's very dear to my heart. And But they're if not you, saying it. And if that's you, the thing. They're not saying it. It's something yeah, but I'm sure but I'm sure that person arguing for the stop sign on McNally Street, someone could come in and say, No, I think those funds should go to a stop sign on this other street. Yes, but the other person will just keep arguing for the McNally Street stop sign. But in a world where we value lived experience above all else, if that person then says, you don't know what I had to endure uh, while I lived on that street and it would mean so much to me and the community that lives there, just because they're expressing the most heightened emotion, they're correct. That's where the argument ends that's the issue there it's so well, look all this podcast has ever been is us expressing our lived experiences right so i'm not arguing against that specifically i'm arguing against the weaponization of it to silence dissent that's the best way i can put it but don't you think that there's still man i'm sounding like them now but don't you think that there is still a undercurrent of you weaponizing your lived experience if you are doing that, say sure. that you are in the position of deciding whether that stop sign goes or not, you're yeah, still yeah. using it kind of as a, again, it's not a conscious thing. It's just like, 
these people, I think... Right, they're just doing it to the it's just greatest like, what, extent. What they are doing is just so fucking obvious to the average person that's well-adjusted. I think it's just the same thing that we're talking about mm. where it's like the more well-adjusted you are, it's not that you are perfect. You're not going to be some AI machine that makes the most logical decision every time. It's just that you're making more logical decisions than that person. Mm. And so that lived experience paradigm, it's like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. That one's kind of murky to me. It's not that I don't agree with you. It's just that I don't think that you can live in a world where that isn't a thing. It's just always going to be pervasive there. I don't think you can escape to it. To the point where it silence, silences descendingness, political or intellectual Well, this is the argument that they're always making, right? That, you know, rich white men made all the decisions. And look, I can understand that position in the sense that... Uh, yeah, because it's that same thing of just like their lived experiences that they went to like rich suburbs, they went to rich schools. Uh, so they kind of are making decisions through that paradigm. Sure. And so you need other people coming in from other paradigms. That makes sense. But... Because at the end of the day, mm, they're actually, still kind yeah, of like artistically on. making decisions. And it's not necessarily whether they're good or bad people. It's just that they are from a certain class and experienced a certain lifestyle. Yeah. So they're always going to be making decisions through, through that, that paradigm. Lens. Yeah, sure. To which my counter argument right, always, right, right. when I'm talking about it and you're saying the same thing, is like, look, it shouldn't. I think that the, the world that I'm always looking at it when I look at that lens is I don't give the slightest of craps who is making a decision. I don't care if they're a white male. That is not a check against it. I don't care if they're a woman. I don't care if they're Aboriginal. I just care if they have the best intentions for the community at heart, the general overall community, right? Right. But it is hard to discount that. But the thing is that like it's my, I guess my overall thing is like just because someone comes from an oppressed race doesn't mean they're not an asshole. And just because somebody is from a non-oppressed race and culture and upbringing doesn't mean that they're not going to be a nice person. And I would prefer the rich white man that is nice in a position that actually thinks about the best decisions for a community in power. Hmm. As opposed to, you know, some disabled Aboriginal person that's just like, you know, a, a, a complete asshole in that same position mm-hmm. who's not thinking about the wider community. But it is something that it's just like, I don't know, I, I've, I've always thought it's just it's purely see, because of okay. this podcast. It's like it actually is this. I was always just thinking like. Right, it's just going into the is. it's not the identity thing. It's further than that. It's just this thing of like. You can't escape your own head. Yeah. Okay. There's. I can see what you're saying. 
everyone is projecting their reality onto a, any situation in any conversation. So even if you're not explicitly saying this is my lived experience and it's a truth I hold dear to me that you can't argue with and if I attach it to a certain cultural idea or policy position, uh, you then become a bad person by arguing against that conclusion because then you are implicitly saying that my pain isn't real. And some people just say it more outwardly than others, but everyone's doing that to some degree. I think that that's the real thing that you're trying to avoid. It's actually just a word that has crept up more and more in our podcasts, narcissism. It's actually just the worldview that my worldview is the most important. Who you really want Mm. in a decision-making position is somebody who actually sits there and listens to everyone's perspective and then makes a decision overall. You're actually not even looking for somebody who's sitting there and saying, I'm looking for evidence. I guess what they actually do is just listen to everyone who has something to say. Mm. And then they're making a decision off of that. Because the other thing is that a lot of, like, okay, say with a lot of these evidence-based programs, They could be correct. Again, it's just that same thing of just like the the pen that writes upside down. Yes, you could go through the whole bureaus that it took to make that pen that wrote upside down, or you could just pick the pencil. And Mm -hmm. maybe the pencil idea was just thought up of some janitor. Some janitor was just doing this upside down. It was like, why don't you guys just use this? And they say, oh, okay, we'll just do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's always value in having a variety of... uh I guess you're right. Like in the upbringings yes, you, and you, environments and circumstances, whenever a decision is being made, and that's that's very yeah. I mean, I right now just reading uh, things in social psychology about leadership and how that's definitely a noble thing to pursue. Uh, But I guess if you're saying that it's just always happening and we just can't avoid it, some people are just saying it more explicitly. Yeah, I really think... I think it's a very juvenile and narcissistic... I wouldn't even go... Not consciously narcissistic, but it's a... It's an immature way of trying to win an argument by simply saying, no, but this is how I felt throughout this particular ordeal and therefore you have to essentially agree with whatever conclusion I'm making. Really to me, it's not that to... The person that does that, they're not too far away from someone throwing a tantrum. Hmm. I really don't think that they have that many more faculties available to them than a toddler. But I, I, I don't know. When I look at that, I just think, how many layers away are you removed from the toddler? <laughs> okay. And then the last one that I brought up was, oh, this isn't even just a culture war point of contention just puritanism versus moderation or pragmatism so 
how ideologically pure do you need to say in trying to achieve your aims, be them political, cultural, whatever they may be. What is it? What is it? So should you be a purist or should you compromise? That's essentially... Especially if you're trying to make a political coalition, how much of a purist do you need to be? This is what I hate about most online commentators. They really don't... A lot of online commentators seem to commentate about politics but not understand the very nature of it. That it's all... Which is about creating coalitions. Yeah. The, The entire process of politics is compromise yep and it becomes an identity doesn't it when you've adopted an ideology so if you're compromising on that ideology you're compromising on your identity so no one wants to do that yeah that's the problem with it when politics becomes an identity but that's going back to that again i think that those people are really just throwing tantrums anybody that has this puritanical view Mm. and says that no you just you can't compromise on that that's the end result that's what we're going to get well, they're never going to get their way then. Never going to get their way. And look, even in a dictatorship, it's not really a dictatorship. There's still factions that they have to appease, be they the military or I don't know what else. There would be some kind of like, there would be billionaires or something there that you would have to be appeasing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, but it's I like think... interesting looking at you breaking all of those down because yeah, I was just thinking. I thought those you've were dissected major, them. Yeah, you have major, deeper points of contention of the culture war. Let me know what you think. I think the big one there is still, yeah, biology versus social construction, because that determines so many of the other conflicts. Because a lot of the policies are predicated on the idea that we are essentially a blank slate. And so then any form of disparity proves that there's a lopsided or oppressive culture or some form of discrimination within a given system. And therefore, we need to uproot the entire system or at least mold it. And there's no analysis of group behavioral differences uh, or even get really controversial genetic differences various proclivities from whatever circumstances and cultures you may be born into but i really ah. think that i'm just in your camp that yes a lot of these external factors will have an impact on your life definitely yeah but you are in control of your life a lot more than even you are probably aware of Even someone like me or you who have been reading self-help for years probably really don't understand the extent that we are in control of our universe. We just haven't, it hasn't occurred to us. Mm. We still haven't really unleashed that much inner power. Don't you think that there's probably a lot that, okay, you talk to me even two, three years ago and say that the you know, that that I'd be having a beef with the deputy premier and I would be getting under his skin and taking up a lot of his space in his head rent through. I would say that that was just completely out of my realm of influence and that I'd never be at that position. And yet here I am. I'm not even that old. 
There so you go. what happens in 10 years? You know? Assassinated. Assassinated, probably. That's usually what happens here. <laughs> that is usually what happens. But I think that, like, most people, it's just... I, I really feel like a lot of those problems that you have in your life and a lot of those arguments that you have online, I think a lot of them kind of start getting disassociated with. And I think even the fact that you were able to sit there and write down what the real contentions are, that is kind of just a result of understanding that you are in control of your life a lot more than the people that are usually arguing about that think about their life. Maybe, <laughs> because yeah. they probably wouldn't be able to dissect that. I mean, I haven't thought about it that much that I've been able to sit there and be like, these are the eight or nine points. And that's where the conflict lies. Mm. Well, I just think it's worthwhile understanding the f- foundational points of conflict there because otherwise you're arguing about things that you aren't in the same universe. You have different definitions about racism, different ideas about the human condition. So then the argument, no one's going to gain any ground. Yeah, you're right. So what you need you've really to actually yes. nut out the true foundations of this culture war first. That's what you've done. So let's do that. But I've been talking for a while there. That was oh, a sorry, sorry, sorry. great. That was a... No, no, no. Don't be sorry. It was great. That was a... He started off with some uh, pretty crude cultural impressions there and then transcended <laughs> into what we just spoke about. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, well, in other words, it was just a standard podcast. (laughs) Like, we will be back to that next week. Start off with problematic banter and then problematic opinions. (laughs) (laughs) That that one should just be called the problematic podcast. And it'll do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we're calling it that. (laughs) If you liked the problematic podcast, share it and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if you're in Sydney, come see me live, neilandfriends.com. Go see Jordan live. He's touring around Australia. And subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching it on YouTube. Um, neilkahaka.com slash podcast if you want to do a paid subscription as well. All of that goes to charity. So if you thought the podcast was problematic, if you want to cancel it, you're canceling a big revenue stream for charity. So don't do that. Yeah, that's you're on you. <laughs> All right. Do you want to leave with that? Bye. See you guys.